Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Jeff McGarry. Jeff currently works for Blast Motion, and in this episode, he he gets into some pretty we get into some pretty good conversation and talk a little bit about you know what exactly the metrics do mean for Blast Motion, how you can utilize Blast Motion themselves um, at the company to help you improve some of your metrics with training, and then we get into some of his, of Jeff's own background. Um, he he was an Ivy League graduate, actually worked outside of baseball right after graduating from college, and I really enjoyed this conversation with him. Something pretty cool that Blast Motion is doing now for the uh, Patrick Jones Baseball podcast listeners is if you go on their website and type in coupon code PJB25, you're going to get 50% off. So normally it's $25 off. You're going to get 50% off of a Blast Motion bat sensor. So make sure to take advantage of that deal right now. Without further ado, here is Jeff McGarry. All right, we now welcome on Jeff McGarry of Blast Motion. Uh, Jeff, thanks for coming on today. Patrick, thank you very much for having me, man. Really excited to, to join today and provide some some insights on what's going on and share some color wherever I can. We were just talking off off the air, and you told me you're an avid surfer. Um, have you been able to? Well, I guess I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't put you in the spot here since we're all supposed to be locked down. But have you been surfing a lot more lately? Uh, surfing a lot less. Okay. You know, trying trying to do my part. Obviously, there's there's a lot going on, and there's and there's rules in place, but whenever there are rules in place, there are loopholes. So what I've found is that state beaches in California, while you can't go to the beach and set up shop and, and put up an umbrella and throw, throw the towel down and catch some sun, you can run out there and go in the water and, and catch a few waves. So I'm going probably once a week now instead of my usual five day, five days a week. So one of the things I do to stay healthy that I think is still still pretty safe, there's a lot less surfers out there. Over the weekend, it was it was pretty crowded, which I was shocked to see. But hey, nice to get out in the water and keeps me sane. How long have you been surfing for? Uh, since last June. So I moved out to San Diego uh, from New York City, and I grew up in New Jersey. Loved the beach. I was always in the water every single summer, and we'd get a beach house with the family. But the, the surfing is only really good in hurricanes out there. And if you don't have a surfboard and a wetsuit, then you're not even allowed out in the water. So... Now, it was something I wanted to pick up when I moved out here and went through the whole get a foam board, get a long board, get a short board, get a shorter board. And um, now I'm now I'm doing a pretty good job holding my own. Yeah, I think I think surfing. I've ne- here's the thing. I've never actually tried surfing, but I think it's one of those things where it, it seems harder than you think it is. Yep. Okay. And what's most frustrating is you'll go out there. It's kind of like golf where or even or even baseball. Right. You hit it. If you hit a home run, I'm around at least for me, I'm around in second base. And I'm just like, man, I have no idea what I was thinking on that pitch. I I might not even remember what pitch that was. All I remember was I was so locked in. So in the moment, everything clicked, everything worked. And then you just smoke that ball right on the barrel. And it's probably the best feeling in the world. Well, the other best feeling in the world that's in a close second is riding a wave for 100 yards at however many miles an hour you're going. So after swallowing like two cups of water, all of a sudden you put your hands down, you stand up, your feet are in a perfect position and you make a turn and you're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm doing it. And you just forget everything that you just did. And then you're pretty much back to square one, even though you're, you know, as far as anybody else watching is concerned, if they didn't see you fall those other five times, they would, they would think you've been surfing your whole life. 
So it's been it's quite it's been quite a journey going from June to now, especially because like since I was such a I played baseball my whole life, there wasn't really anything that I picked up until surfing where I had to start from having zero experience and zero skill set at all for for that sport. What were you doing? You said you moved from New York City. What were you doing in New York City? So I graduated college in 2015 and took a bit of the summer off just because I was playing summer ball every year and wanted to hang out with some friends a little bit. Uh, My girlfriend at the time, now fiance, got into medical school at NYU. So I moved up there in October 2015 and I found a job in sales for a tech startup company. It was called OneWire and we had a hiring platform and resume database for financial services candidates to put the resumes on for financial services firms to post jobs. And it was this whole network of, of finance pros to um, come load up the resume, let people know that they're interested in, in finding jobs. And I, our bread and butter was a algorithm that could break down and, and make resumes searchable in, in any format. How did you like uh, doing that? I mean, I, I love the people that I worked with. Uh, the industry was was pretty interesting. I still, to this day, just can't wrap my head around how these hiring firms are so big and so powerful and there's so many of them. And it's such a crazy big industry. I just don't understand how companies can't hire people themselves. But hey, I'm, I made a living doing just that, or at least playing, playing a part in that. So it was great to see and understand why people will come to other firms to outsource their hiring or at least help or assist with hiring. It was great to connect with financial services candidates and get familiar with different roles in the space, the terminology they use, the certifications they need. It helped me to this day find a the, the right financial advisor. I knew exactly where to go, what licenses to look for. And I got to live and party in New York for three and a half years. <laughs> got out of there just in time though. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding, man. I mean, it's it's, yeah, you're not kidding, just in time. What made you move out to San Diego? Because I can't imagine, I mean, kind of everyone obviously in the baseball world knows you don't really get into baseball as, as a job to make money in a sense, just because it's there's just not a lot of money, especially in coaching. I know you're not in coaching working for Blast Motion, but what caused you to move from that job in New York City all the way out to San Diego and work for Blast Motion? Same thing, man. My lady. Oh, okay. She finished her fourth year of medical school. And I don't know if you know how it works, but they, yeah, all my, mom's, my mom's actually a doctor. Oh, so you, so you know about the match process where everybody opens up an envelope at yep. the same day, same time. And it's like, that's where you're going. You have no choice. So, um, she ranked her schools. She ended up getting into UCSD and unfortunately I had to move to San Diego, California. <laughs> so I started actually with blast before that date. I started in October of 2018 as the East coast sales rep. Then when that happened, they transitioned me over to the central sales rep. They figured it'd be easier for me to fly and travel to the central states than back east. Don't Didn't disagree with that. Um, and then Brett Thomas, our old account manager, who, who was phenomenal, um, he took a job at the University of Oregon doing their tech and player development. And there opened up a role for, uh, for account manager at Blast Motion. That same day, Matt Tanner, uh, the channel manager, reached out to me and thought I'd be great for the role. So, um, you know, anything to help the team, of course, and I'm in the office every day, regardless. So, or most days regardless. So, um, just made sense. So made that transition in late August and have been there since. Yeah. Matt's a good dude. Uh, we had him on the podcast actually, and he's, he's a really smart guy. I really like the, just the stuff he stands for. And he's just, he's a really good guy just to talk to 
Um, when you were in college, so you went to uh, University of Penn. Like, did you ever envision continuing working in baseball, or was it something that you know you just kind of just happened? Yes, I did. I did know, however, that it would have to be some sort of unique role that wasn't so baseball all day, every day, all the time. I didn't want to take any bus trips. I didn't really want to put on a uniform again unless I was going to be coaching my son or daughter. So I had no idea what to apply to or how I was going to get there. So got a gig in sales and and started my career. And then one day just stumbled upon that Blast Motion East Coast Territory Rep sales job on LinkedIn and had a job offer six days later. So, you know, working at a, a real company, right, with a with a C level and and managers and sales teams, development teams, engineering teams, you know, I would say 60% of the meetings, whatever we talk about, whatever we strategize around, are it, it's the same that's going on at, at any other company. Just the the perks are, you know, I get to talk shop with baseball coaches every single day. I get to go visit amazing facilities. I get to travel around the country and build relationships and go to phenomenal conventions, the ABCA convention um, in January every year being the highlight of pretty much the entire Blast Motion sales team's year. Like, oh my gosh, man, we have so much fun there. And then the culture, like everybody on the on the sales team is an ex-Division One baseball player. Everybody on the softball sales team is an ex-Division One softball player or or baseball player. And just, we all, we all, just it's just like getting back into getting back in the locker room and being the part being a part of another baseball team except you know you're at a real company so i i found that role and um really really thankful that that i stumbled upon it that one day man yeah you can't complain uh anytime you can work in the in the baseball world especially just something that you love what um what was it like going to an ivy league school ooh really intimidating at first i'm intimidated just asking that question yeah <laughs> So uh, just imagine you are in, you're a freshman in a class of 15. So there, there were, you know, economics, there are about a hundred kids in the class yet marketing there, there are 150 kids, but I would say the majority of your class class sizes are about 20 kids or less. And they're really discussion based. So you have your, your week of readings or whatever, and you come in and you need to be prepared to discuss them. And, you know, I'll, I'll raise my hand. And, you know, and some background, I went to Penn to play baseball, believe it or not. Baseball got me into the school. I had fine grades. I had fine SAT scores, but definitely wasn't getting in there on my own. So, you know, I, I go and I take the steps necessary to come prepared for class, to come prepared for class. And I share my opinion, which is sort of just like an enhanced summary of what happened. And then another kid in class raises his hand who's just, you know, 18 years old. You know, he's probably from South Korea and his father is some sort of mogul billionaire because there's just a ton of money around the whole school. So going to class with with kids like that and just hearing them speak is uh, an education in itself. And he shares like the most insightful point I've ever heard relates it back to like problems that are going on in the country or in the world currently and how that impacts future political decisions. And we read a piece, you know, we just read some random piece some guy wrote from like 1850 on, you know, uh, censorship or something like that. And he related it from everything back then and how, how the ripple effect came to today and how it applies to an issue going on in the world today. And I'm just like, oh my God, 
I better figure this out or I, uh, I might not last. So luckily, like just, just learning that lesson that first day, oh, it just the whole experience, man, opened up new ways of thinking. And, um, of course the friends and relationships I was able to build on and off the baseball team still do and will stick with me for the rest of my life. The other cool thing is my fiance and I road tripped out to San Diego from New York city, stopped in Pittsburgh, St. Louis, the middle of Kansas. We didn't have any friends in the middle of Kansas, Denver, Utah, Phoenix, Arizona, and made out to San Diego. And we did not. The only time we spent money on a hotel was when we stayed in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. So, you know, it's not like I was going to Iowa and 99% of the school were people that grew up in Iowa or the surrounding area. Um, there were kids from all over the country, all over the world coming there to get to get that great education. So you know, the exposure that I got in the classroom and then the competition out there on the baseball field was extremely rewarding. Is the school as hard as people make it out to be? Like, or I guess is the Ivy League tradition is, you know, you have to study for like 10 hours a day. I mean, did you find that the workload in the classroom was just like overload? Uh, not definitely not overload. The, I feel like the coaching staff does a phenomenal job vetting out players who will be overwhelmed just by asking you questions about your background and getting to know your family. What's good is if you ever do feel overloaded, the school offers a ton of resources for you from study halls to, to tutoring to like to uh, mental coaching, not, and not just psychology. Like what do you, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? How do you approach your day? Things like that, um, just to get you in a, in a better habit of managing your day. So no, I, I never felt overwhelmed. I had plenty of time to, to party. Penn was actually in 2013 ranked the number one party school by Playboy, which we were all super proud of. <laughs> us on the baseball team felt like we, we played a role in getting that ranking for sure. But uh, no, no, it never, never really did. Um, the work was super challenging. And without, I wouldn't say we studied 10 hours a day. I would say that days consisted of class from about 8 a.m. until 1 or 2, practice until about 5 or 6, studying until about homework and study until about 10 with a couple, with a couple sessions for, uh, you know, homework and studying in between class in the morning. But, you know, on the weekends, if we had games, we were usually well prepared for, for anything that would have taken more time out of our schedule away from academics. So we're also set up with, um, like study halls, our freshman year to get acclimated to all of that and make sure we are taking that time at night to devote towards academics. So you mean, you have to be a good time manager there. As long as you are, I don't think you'll have too tough of a time learning, the learning and adapting to the curriculum. Uh, just because it's all so interesting, the the people in your class, like you know, if if you're out there playing a baseball game with a bunch of C players and you're an A player, then you're not going to get much better. But if you're out there playing a baseball game with a bunch of A players, like it's going to force you to adapt, and you're going to get much better just from playing in one game. So, you know, I'm I'm in a classroom. I'd say maybe you know a B level student with a bunch of A A plus students and they helped take me to the next level and show me what it took to to get there. So, you know, if if you have that drive and the coach does a good job uh, again vetting out those people that he don't he doesn't think will be able to make it, then uh I don't think you should have much of a problem doing so. So you said you wouldn't have been able to get in without baseball. Like what do you mind sharing what your test score was? Sure. So my grade point average unweighted was a 3.8 in high school. My weighted grade point average was over a five and my SATs were 700 in math and 530 in writing and reading. So total was a 1760 and then the two were um, 1230. 
Okay. Okay. Did, and it took the SAT twos, which is a requirement for the Ivy League schools. It's SAT twos or the ACT. So I ended up taking math one, math two, and biology. Um, and I believe I got 700 plus on each. I don't remember those off the top of my head. Is there anything that you use now working for Blast Motion that you learned in college? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my major was communication and commerce. I talked to a lot of other communications majors and, and they learned PR stuff. Some of them actually learned um, communication skills. It was a lot different at Penn. We focused a lot on marketing. That was the commerce side of it. A lot on messaging and what do people respond to depending on who they are and what their makeup is. So I guess to kind of highlight my four years in a nutshell, year one was, okay, advertising classes, big, big seminars, took, you know, marketing 101, learn the four Ps, all that stuff. Year two, we started to get a little more specific and study some pieces of work. So for example, Cialdini's theories of persuasion, information and programming that was directed at kids and how kids learn and how brains develop. And then different types of messaging. So people, how, how do you appeal to people with short attention spans and long attention spans? Then my junior and senior years, we went into junior year, let's say we worked on, um, we took those theories and created a public service announcement, just in the form of a one pager, like a billboard or an advertisement you'd see on the road that's trying to get to change somebody's behavior. So it's, let's say if it's anti-smoking, for example, we need to say, okay, who's at risk? Who's at risk to be smokers? We need to find research on who, based on their makeup, are you able to change somebody with a longer attention span or somebody with a shorter attention span? Do you go after both? Where do, where do you spend money? How how do you appeal to that person to try to get them to change that behavior? Do you you know threaten them with pictures of somebody with one of those tubes coming out of their esophagus on that on the billboard, or do you maybe threaten them with a picture of a child crying, talking about um, passing away from lung cancer? Or do you focus on maybe developing a more healthy lifestyle or putting more years on the end of your life or whatever? And then how do you portray that message? Is it an image? Is it a dense like information packet that you hand out on the street? So all these different things in order to try to make this message more effective. And then you have to put together this whole campaign and then you have to test it. So you have to come up with control variables, and whatnot, and then you get all that information back, crunch all those numbers, see if your message was would actually be effective in changing that perception, and then you present that final project. Um, and then senior year, it's actually a video. So we learn video editing skills, same kind of approach, seeing who your audience is, what they'll respond to. And uh, I do keep that in mind today at Blast, especially when uh, on the sales side, when see, when let's say if I'm calling somebody that's a new lead and they're not answering me, then maybe I'll go into their background a little bit and try and assess what, what kind of person they are, or what they'll respond to. If I go on Twitter and they're deep into analytics, then maybe I'll send them a piece of content that I think will tickle their fancy or, or something like that. As far as statistical analysis and Excel work, I mean, I'm, I'm doing that every day with our current clients, teaching them how to make sense of raw data sets, how to track progress, and then um, based on the player and who they are and how they're best going to help the team, what part of their swing might be most beneficial for everybody to improve right now? And what can we work on in the fall when we have a little bit more time? So definitely creating creating some messages here and there. I'm working with a client to put together an email campaign as well for parents, um, just again with some key key pieces of content and messaging that I think will stick with them and, and generate interest there. 
and then the statistical analysis part, going into Excel, working with the raw data sets. Nothing quite as uh, as in depth and as difficult as I as I learned in my four years there, though. I can imagine, and that I definitely like how though you've you've already identified what is what has helped you um, in your current job by what you learned in college. Because you asked a lot of people, you know, do you apply anything that you learned in college in your job? And they're like, uh, not really, you know. So I think that is pretty cool. Getting into you, you talked a little bit about there how you kind of go over with coaches and talk about uh, statistics and, and data and what it means. Um, can you give us like just some of the listeners some examples of what they should be looking for if they have a, a son or maybe if it's just one player and then maybe if they have a team as well? So my job is to well, one, make sure that our clients, our new clients are, are well-trained, well-versed on everything and understand the application of every single metric and how it can correlate to more consistent and more desirable outcomes. Um, and then once that's there, we can get into the approach that you should take for your team, or at least I'll suggest what I think they should do. Um, you never want to step on anybody's toes. And some of these coaches have been coaching for 20 years, so they they know what they're doing. And then down to the individual level. So when you take a swing with Blast, up pops your playing connection rotation scores, some other metrics, and it's and you're either going to see a little dot that's going to be red, green, or yellow, telling you, based on your level of play, are you excellent? Are you in the top 20%? Are you in the majority distribution, if you imagine that bell curve, so are you in the middle of the road? Are you average? Or do you need to work on that? What I don't want our clients doing is taking a swing, seeing something is red, and saying, I want to work on that. Because based on the time of year and based on the type of player you have, I think that sometimes that area of the swing isn't necessary to work on right now because it can either it'll either take a long time to to improve that metric. It'll be quite a project. And you know, if you're Two months before the season, you know, I don't think it makes much sense to work on that. I think that there are other more pressing metrics based on that player's makeup that will help them have more success in the short term, where, again, some of the other metrics might help them in the long term. But in order to get over that hump, this is what we can this is what we can do and how we can approach it. So what I'll usually take them through is I'll hop on a uh, hop on a call with them, bring up their team and we'll start going into a few players. There's a couple of different reports you can run in Excel that give you some decent insights and um, and graphs and scatter plots that show you how their bat and body are working together. Are they making the necessary adjustments? Um, and then you can go into team reports as well to see, okay, does the whole team struggle with that? Or does the majority of the team struggle with that? And the most common suggestion that I make on the team side is to roll out rounds of batting practice that focus on driving the inside pitch and pulling the baseball. So what I see when I look into our data sets pretty frequently are a lot of players have a, what we call connection at impact score way, way, way less than 90 degrees. So what connection at impact is it measures the bat and body relationship. When you make contact, it ensures that you're in a strong position to drive the ball. Somebody who's at 110 degrees, um, if you imagine the bat and body from a catcher's or umpire's point of view, they're going to be standing very upright and their bat's going to be very steep, tilting down. So if you imagine trying to hit a low and outside pitch standing straight up, that's no good. You're going to be very weak. How is the where the body is calculated? So the sensor on the bat, we take the hand speed and bat speed at multiple different points throughout a player's swing. And then from there, we're able to fit a plane through kind of where that where the hands and where the bat is going. And then based on that plane, we take the perpendicular measurement to that. And uh, it's pretty darn spot on with um, 
with KVEST and, and other tech like that, it's able to actually exactly pick up the spine angle. So it's pretty, pretty cool to actually see work. If it pitches a strike, but it's low and away, um, are they normally going to have, because of that, a lower, uh, a worse score on the connection at impact? So it depends. Ideally, you want to be at 90 degrees there. So your body's going to be pretty tilted over home plate to go and get that pitch. And then if that ball is going to be up and in, you're going to want to adjust to be more upright with your body while your bat kind of flattens out. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So what I see more often than not is guys being pretty well connected on that low and outside pitch, especially elite college players. So right there at 90 degrees, but on the pitches up when, when their bat flattens out, that's when you see connection at impact scores down around 75. So what that's telling me is their body's staying in that same position and they're making that adjustment with their bat. So imagine hitting a low and outside pitch with a certain posture and then keeping your body in that exact same position and changing your bat angle to hit an up, up and in pitch. Your body's going to be so tilted over home plate and so in the way of your hands, like staying inside that inside pitch to where if you're going to do any damage, you're going to be making contact with that ball so far out in front of you. And that's when you're going to start hooking balls down the line, hooking balls foul, uh, getting jammed if you're a hair late. And I think that's that's a result of everybody focusing so much growing up on driving the outside pitch and going the opposite way that players' bodies are trained more and more to tilt over home plate to be in a strong position there. But they're kind of forgetting about giving themselves enough clearance to get to that inside pitch. Do you think it helps if um, a player pairs up while they're using the bat sensor, if they pair up video with it, right? So they can go back and see, you know, what exactly, where that actual pitch was. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. We have a metric in there, vertical bat angle, that gives a decent idea of pitch location up and down. Uh, you know, your average vertical bat angle on a low and outside pitch might be negative 40 degrees, where on the, on the higher pitches, it'll be negative 20. So Again, what you want to see there is you want to see the spine make that same adjustment, um, 20 degrees between the low and outside pitch and the up and in pitch. But uh, oftentimes, oftentimes you don't see that. And as a player, it's really, really tough to feel. So to look at it when the numbers are popping up on, on your cell phone, just, just the metrics is one thing. And then being able to actually see it and break it down over video is a whole other thing, especially if you can take video from different angles. I would love to be able to show a player like, hey, when you when you hit this inside pitch at 76 degrees, you yanked it down the line. Three pitches later, I threw you a pitch in that same exact location. You can see it on the video. You can see, based on the blast metrics, that you were actually at 90 degrees, so you did make that adjustment with your body. And if you look at where the ball ended up, you drove that one over the left fielder instead of hooking it down the line, and you made contact. Um, you were able to let that ball travel an extra foot and a half because you didn't have to get so far out in front. So... Video is huge and can give a lot more insights into uh, definitely pitch location, swing mechanics, body posture, body movement, um, beyond just what the sensor can give you. So you said earlier that you don't really like to have players take one swing and then look at their phone. I guess no. the the point or one of the things that I just kind of want to make is what about if you, if a player's swinging and then his buddy has his phone and they're just working on just simple attack angle like he's having a, a really he has a steep swing it's a negative attack angle consistently and he's trying to find that feel for right for what it is positive would that be a scenario where taking a swing and then having his buddy or whoever it is like say like hey that was a negative 5 
like let's try and like a little bit more uppercut and then see if they can manipulate and get it not manipulate but work the number a little bit so he does he's able to feel and kind of connect the number to what he needs to feel to have a positive attack angle yes i think there are certain metrics that you know you can take a swing and look and make that adjustment and try to feel it and see if you're responding to those mechanical changes that you're implementing or or think you're implementing, but actually not. I just don't want to see it done all the time to where you are sort of swinging just to satisfy the numbers. I think that takes the athlete out of it. It's definitely not how our our MLB clients approach, approach these numbers as well. I think attack angle is one of them because that's also sort of, that's sort of tough to feel the, the actual direction your bat's going at impact. But again, something to focus on for like a day and in that day, maybe a half an hour. I want most of the changes to come from you know your, your usual work, drills, and your coaches. And I want to be able to allow the coaches to track that player's progress to help the coach verify if that player is responding to their approach. So almost all of the changes happening in the background that are helping that player improve and they're working the right way towards the numbers not taking a swing and figuring out that, oh, if I take this ball on the tee and move it an extra foot out in front of home plate, that that changes my attack angle from negative four to eight just because of the natural path of the bat. And now the player thinks that in order to fix his attack angle, he needs to make contact with the ball a foot and a half further out in front than where he's comfortable. And then who knows who knows the implications that can have for that player down the road. So it, it depends on uh, how they want, how they're going to come to that result as well. You know, if it's two 12 year olds, no offense to those guys, but I don't know if they're making those th- the right adjustments there. Like I said, if, if a 12 year old figures out that he can put a T here and he's got a positive attack angle and everything's fixed because blast motion's popping up as green, I don't think that's, that's a win for player development at all. Right. You want the numbers to kind of guide their training and, and guide the type of environment that you you put out in the practice versus just being specifically driven by these numbers after every swing. Now, a couple of the, the metrics on there I kind of wanted to get into a little bit. So one being rotational acceleration, right, which is kind of like a sequencing how quickly your bat gets on playing with the pitch. And then the other one being early connection with essentially measuring your spine angle and bat angle at first move, where not first move, but when your bat starts to enter the zone, like where it enters enters the zone at. And I bring that up because I'm wondering if does the rotational acceleration, does it change dramatically at all depending on the early connection score, right? So if a, a bat is a very upright, you know, 110, 115 early connection score, the bat's pretty vertical versus it being flat, does that trigger the sensor, which triggers the rotational acceleration? So they're going to see a higher score versus someone who has a flatter bat and it's not going to take them as long to get on plane or, or maybe it would be vice versa. Whew, tough question, man. Very, very good question. So I don't know the answer to this one for sure. I can only guess or or speculate. So rotational acceleration, what that measures is in the first quarter of your swing, pretty much, how close are you able to get to your top speed? So if you have two players, both are swinging, let's say 80 miles an hour, which is really fast, but uh, just for the sake of easy math, dividing it into four. You could have a guy swinging 80 miles an hour with five G's of rotation and a guy swinging 80 miles an hour with 20 G's of rotation. The guy with 20 G's of rotation just in that first quarter of his swing 
might go from zero to 40 miles an hour. He's already halfway to his top speed. And then maybe he'll go to 80 in that second half and carry 80 miles an hour through the final two quarters of his swing to impact where the first player I mentioned, who's at five G's of rotation might go 20 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, 20 and 20 until he finally reaches 80 miles an hour at impact. So a fun exercise I like to do with coaches when I go into their numbers is I pick out without even looking two players, one guy with a faster bat speed than the other, but the guy with the slower bat speed will have better rotation. And then I'll scroll over to their time to contact that we also pick up. And the guy with the slower bat speed will have a faster time to contact. So that right there proves the whole concept of why accelerating your bat is so important for plate discipline and um, being a more dynamic hitter and having a better eye as well. Early connection does just exactly what you said, measures the bat and body relationship at the very start of your downswing. So depending on the angle of your bat, let's say I have 120 degrees of early connection. That would mean that I'm starting my swing with the barrel almost sticking straight up to the sky. If you're if, if, if we're measuring how quickly you're able to accelerate that bat in the first third of your swing, and that pitch is going to be a high pitch, then that first movement is, isn't going to be, and it can't be if you want to drive the baseball, like your hands gaining ground towards the ball. It almost has to be the barrel kind of dumping where if I'm hitting that low pitch, then I can bring my hands straight down and let the barrel kind of loop, loop down and around to drive that pitch at the knees. Opposite, obviously, if my early connection is, if my bat's really, really flat, if my early connection is 79 degrees, if I can hit that high pitch, boom, my shoulders turn and my bat's already on that plane. So that could help um, accelerate that bat quickly. And I wouldn't have to adjust or change the path of the bat again if I'm already on that pitch plane, where if that's going to be a low pitch, that barrel has to either come up and then down, or I'm going to dive in with my back shoulder. And then again, as I'm swinging, to begin to adjust my uh, the angle of the bat to get more on plane with that pitch. So it makes sense. I don't know. I don't have a sure answer for you, but early connection, man, is just is super important to make sure it's consistent because if you're starting your swing from just completely different angles every single time, um, then that's going to really hurt your ability to uh, to move properly throughout the rest of the swing and efficiently generate your bat speed. So again, while I'm while I'm guessing. I feel like these are very, very educated guesses and um, something that I could definitely follow up with our biomechanist on as well. Well, from an Ivy League grad, I'm going to trust your educated guesses. (laughs) Um, Now, rotational acceleration, I see a lot of these scores online and these, I see some kids who are literally getting like 35, 30. And then, but I've been told that the MLB average is 11 to 17. So how are these kids getting all these crazy high scores? But yet these big, these big leaguers are, are hitting balls way harder and farther than them. So bat speed and rotation together are power metrics or what we say, what we say are our power metrics. I think connection impact can be factored in there as well. So bat speed is going to be the number one culprit there. The major league guys are swinging 70 to 80 miles an hour, and they're always in a perfect position at impact. They're probably also barreling up more balls, at least in batting practice. I mean, when you're facing 98 with a 90 mile an hour slider, it might be tough to do where these kids, if they're still able to accelerate quickly, but they don't have the bat speed to plow through that baseball. They also don't have the precise movement patterns to allow them to be in the best position possible or the strongest position possible to drive the baseball. So imagine one, so verse one's easy. Just imagine a slower bat. Slower bat isn't going to drive a baseball as far. Two, if somebody's not connected, 
So something I, for our clients who coach younger players, something to keep, something I tell them to keep in mind is don't let your kids get so wrapped up in bat speed because, you know, little kids will see that blast motion measures bat speed. And the first thing they want to do is swing as hard as they can, because that might hit the ball further. And it's easy for them to understand like 35 miles an hour is faster than 30 miles an hour. So that must mean I'm better than you. Well, not necessarily. So if you imagine somebody swinging a bat, let's, let's say 60 miles an hour and making contact really solid, nine degrees of connection and impact, that bat is connected through that player's arms, all through their body to their lower half. Like all of that player's force and energy is, is behind that barrel. That's a powerful bat coming through the zone. It's a heavy bat coming through the zone. That same player takes that same swing, but again, they're, a little, they're just a little out of whack. They're not a major league player. So at impact, now all of a sudden their arms are completely extended. And the only thing they have to really, as far as force is concerned behind that bat is, is their arms because, because they're so extended, it's not going to connect back to their body or connect back to their lower half. So when that ball collides with the bat, that's when you see that bat significantly slow down and it doesn't just like plow through the baseball, if you, if you know what I mean. Um, I think that's also why you see some major league guys swinging drop zeros, like 33, 33s or 34, 33s, you know, drop ones, because if they do get fooled on that low and outside pitch, if they've got a couple extra ounces in that bat and maybe do take a bit of a disconnected swing, the extra weight in that bat can, can make up for that. So connection impact would be number two. And then again, rotations only measuring how close you can get to top speed in that first 30 or swing. So it is super, still super important at the major league level, if not the most most important metric because it allows time to contact to go down because bat speed isn't enough just to take that all the way down. So uh, reason being is, is three things there, your position at impact and taking a more consistent swing and uh, your bat speed. I think uh, you also talked a little bit about right there was also the size of the bat that those big leaguers have, right? I mean, that's going to cause, they're not going to be able to, to swing as fast or get the barrel or the, the bat in the zone as fast, probably because it is a little bit heavier. Yes, correct. Also, the baseballs are the same size. So if I'm swinging a 29, if a major leaguer, you know, is swinging a 29-17 small barrel bat, he's not going to put the ball out of the yard at a at a major league park. Right. When you're using this, like how should you be implementing that? Should it be off of a tee or should it be soft toss? I mean, I guess. It also depends on the situation, right? If a player just by himself, he has to hit it off of a tee. Is that still going to help him? Yeah, it could help him. I don't, I personally do not like tee data. And I tell our clients do the best job they can to make sure every single swing in that profile is taken with intent and is taken in a high stress environment. I mean, high stress isn't always possible, but you know, something where there's more variability like overhand BP or high velocity pitching machine or sliders off the pitching machine. What I say is a solid baseline is 200 swings from a variety of environments. But if I had 200 swings from overhand BP, you guys were working, you guys are working oppo, you're doing some hit and run, you were doing some gap to gap. That would be completely fine with me. But if you gave me 200 T swings, I would say that's not good enough. I suggest only working off of a T if you're working on one specific metric. So early connection, or being one of them, like, hey, we need to make, we need to really slow things down for you so you can feel your load and feel where you are. I was down in Texas before all this stuff was going on, working with their instructors, 
and explaining early connection to them. And I was explaining, okay, if you're north of 90, you might struggle on the high pitch. If you're south of 90, you might struggle on the low pitch, just based on where you are when you're starting your swing. So in order for them to feel that and believe me as a quote unquote coach, I took one of the instructors, you know, and he just got done playing professional baseball and he had 130 degrees of early connection. I put the T to his letters and I said, hit that pitch. I'll bet you that it hurts. And he took a swing and it hurt his right wrist, his top hand wrist, because if he's starting with such a vertical bat, has such a tight window to manipulate big bat 34, 31, that's going to put a lot of pressure on that wrist. And he's going to have to have some really, really strong forearms in order to do that time after time, or he'll be very inconsistent on that pitch. And he was honest with me and said that it really did make sense as to why he was able to drive pitches down in the zone. But if anybody came up with those high spin rate, four seam fastballs, which you're seeing more and more of now, he wouldn't be able to touch them. So if you're working off a tee and you're on the blast sensor, I think that it should be very targeted work on a single metric just to allow the player to feel how they move and get a much better idea of how the adjustment should be made, um, not to actually establish a baseline. And if you're at home, that's, that's a whole other thing. If your players are at home working on their own off a tee, uh, again, I would, I would pick out specific metrics to, to work on. I would make sure that they're not, again, taking a swing, seeing their plane score at 40, putting their bat in a certain slot and starting their swing right from that, that slot just because they figure out that it takes their plane score from 40 to 65. Like that, that's no good. That's creating bad habits. So again, if you're working off a tee, make sure it's in the, um, it, it's for the right reasons and you are making the right adjustments. So that's stuff that you can bounce off your account manager here at Blast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, to your point, which is, I, I thought a great point when you're working with those guys in Texas where like, you were just like, hey, look, like it's going to be hard to hit the the pitch that's up with a high early connection score when your barrel's pretty vertical. But that doesn't mean that you can't do it, right? I mean, there are outliers. There are the Ronald Acunas of the world. It's just they those guys are outliers. And for the most part, it's going to be hard to do. So yep. for the on-plane efficiency, I know the MLB average, I believe, is 73. Would you say it's any more than 85 is going to be a bad thing? I would say any more than, than 95. Okay. 95. Yeah. I mean, that just means that like, usually people who all see who are well, uh, like above 90 will either have a like 120 degrees of early connection. And if you imagine what a hundred percent on plane efficiency would be, it's just like you're direct to the ball is how I describe it. So in order to be direct to the ball from that position, that barrel is dropping down straight behind you and pretty much looping straight around in a, in a big loop. And that guy is, go, if he makes contact with a pitch that's at the letters, then his attack angle is going to be like 50 or more degrees because he's going to hit that ball with like pretty much with his barrel pointing straight at the pitcher. If I'm painting a good picture of what this looks like, where uh, if somebody had somebody who's at 76 or, or less degrees of early connection, again, will just be flat right across the top of the zone at the letters. Wouldn't um, that wouldn't that equal a higher on plane efficiency though? Yes, 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 it would. It would. So these these are guys that are getting 100 percent on plane efficiency. The, so the flatter bat, the guys who start out with a flat bat, low early connection score, being in the 65 70s, they would have a higher on plane efficiency if they're hitting a high pitch. Okay, gotcha. Yep, yep, because they're just keeping that bat flat on that same plane. So it's almost like slotting that bat and just taking a consistent path there. But you can. Uh, you don't have to be a baseball guy to 
to understand that standing in a certain position like this and bringing your bat along the same path is going to be an athletic type of movement and you're going to have successful outcomes. Yeah. And this has been, I mean, again, this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people out there who use blasts, especially if they are training by themselves. And especially if, you know, they, you know, they don't necessarily know exactly what a lot of the numbers mean. Now, right now, I know you guys at Blast Motion are doing some stuff, some some type of remote training for athletes, coaches. Uh, maybe you could kind of take the uh, last few minutes here and just talk a little bit about what you guys are doing. Sure. So this was something that's always been available on Blast, and we were waiting for the right time to push it. So being out uh, in a client-facing role, uh, I've been Myself, uh, John Moscott, and, and the softball team, all all the sales reps have been just kind of keeping an ear open for, okay, when should we start to let people know that this is a feature that they can utilize? Like training never stops, man. Baseball hopefully is going to start up in, in June. Who knows when it's going to start up, but it, I'm hoping that it gets played this summer and you need to be prepared. You know, even if you had a preseason, that kind of all turned into what the fall might have been and now you need to uh continue the work. So when when all this stuff started to happen, nobody really wanted to talk to us. The academies are obviously business owners, so that this ha- obviously had some sort of economic impact that is happening and back then was likely going to happen so they were concerned about that. You know, the thoughts at that time are what are we going to do to get by for the next week? So nobody wanted to talk to Blast, nobody needed to talk to Blast. And I don't blame them. A week after that, they're like, oh boy, okay, it's kind of happening. And you might be shut down for for two or three weeks, but okay, no big deal. Still nothing really we could do to, to help guys. And then after after week three and week four, basically this past week and a half, it's like, okay, we're, we're in it. Nothing we can do. We're shut down and for, for at least another month. Let's see how we can continue to engage. Let's see how we can engage our players, get guys working from home and make sure we're prepared for whenever that season starts. So um, we're launching a series of webinars um, on the baseball and softball side that take guys through all the options they have for remote coaching. So we're doing some on video sharing and, and remote video analysis. So Blast Motion and Blast Connect, our online cloud platform, have a tool that allow players to take videos of themselves at home, share videos to Blast Connect where a coach can access those videos and then bring them up, record their screen, annotate on them, draw lines, angles, and record their voice as well to provide feedback, explain what why they're drawing this, what the player needs to do. Hey, you're collapsing on your backside. Let's try and stay a little more upright. I think that'll help your uh, early connection score go from 80 back to 90 where, where we want it, where you're strongest. They can save that feedback and get it right back to that player. We're holding uh, more advanced analytics type sessions as well for, um, I mean, obviously for everybody, but I would assume that we'll see some of our more advanced clients on those calls as well. Uh, we just came out with a really, really sweet new uh, Microsoft Excel doc. Uh, make sure you enable the macros where you just copy and paste the the raw data sets and it spits out, again, those uh, your power metrics, your, your bat speed and rotational acceleration side by side to your load efficiency, your contact position, and um, your uh, load contact and impact position as well, looking at connection, impact, and vertical bat angle. There's a number of insights you can get from that. And then uh, we're pushing a ton of content as well on the marketing side. Just again, trying to keep people engaged, trying to keep people motivated and positive. You know, those are those are resources available to the masses. And then, as far as as far as I'm concerned, and as far as John's concerned, and, and the softball girls as well. Like I heard from uh, from Shanna Diller 
that Andrea Duran this morning, um, our two softball account managers, that their calendars are full this week with follow-up calls to the webinar that they had on Friday, just going more into those metrics one-on-one and going over, okay, this is what we spoke about. This is how you operate. How can we make this approach work for you? How do we roll this out? You know, while we're there for everybody, us as account managers are there for our clients as well and um, supporting you in any way we can. Awesome. So if they're interested in doing that, they would just go to what, blastmotion.com? Yep. Blastmotion.com. They'll be able to find the scheduled webinars. We're pushing it out on social as well. And then there's recordings of any past webinar that they missed. So um, the first one was last Friday, and it was on just a couple of the metrics broken down in that spreadsheet, the importance of power versus rotational acceleration, also attack angle and on-plane efficiency working together to give make sure your bat's in the zone as long as possible. Awesome. Jeff, it's been a pleasure of mine, man. Um, glad we got to connect and thanks again for coming on the show. Hey, thank you, man. Hey, f- phenomenal questions. I, I know I was talking a lot, but I, I, I guess that's how, uh, that's how it should be, huh? So I definitely hope I can give the listeners some pretty good insight into uh, you know, what's been going on and hope to see you guys join in on some of these webinars if you're interested in exploring any remote coaching. But Patrick, great stuff, man, as usual. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.